0: Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to Season 2 of the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox, because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur... We all contend with challenges, and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. And again, I I still wake up every day in awe that I'm getting to meet incredible heart-centered leaders around the globe. And this morning, I'd like to introduce you to Jerry Fu. He is a conflict resolution coach. And what I love about this is he specializes in helping Asian American leaders advance not only in their life journey, but also in their career. He's taken on several pharmacy leadership roles himself and believed that in 2017, he wanted to help other Asian-American professionals deal with conflict that they were encountering at work, within their culture, and more importantly, within themselves. So, Jerry, I'm so delighted to have you on the show this morning. Welcome.
1: Hi, Deb. Thanks for having me.
0: It's so funny. We were talking before we hit record that serendipitous moments happen in our life. And I have to say, Over 130 global leaders have been on the show, and I love that you target your own demographics. I'm really excited to have a great conversation. So if you're ready for the questions, I'm ready to go.
1: Ready as I'll I'll ever be, Deb. Let's do it.
0: My first question is, you were in the role that you are now so beautifully coaching others through. So share with us the backstory of what you were observing within your pharmacy roles that literally led you to pivoting and starting your own business, helping others in that exact role.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, basically, what I tell people is that leadership saved my career. It took a number of bumps and bruises and wake-up calls along the way to realize, hey, you know what? You know, as grateful as I am on this journey, maybe I can make it a little easier for people uh, you know, coming up that are now are going to face similar challenges, and so it's not that the challenges go away; it's just to give them the confidence and the the skills so they can handle those challenges a little more effectively. Uh, basically, 16 years ago, I you know finished pharmacy school and I began a job at a chain pharmacy at the best of my very loving and very risk averse mother, and she just said, "Hey, I don't want you to have the same problems your dad did trying to find gainful employment," so you know, just work for this chain pharmacy and, you know, the salary and benefits and retirement package are worth whatever quality of life or anything else you have to compromise. These are the most important things they need to honor. And I said, okay, you know, I just didn't have the energy to argue with her. So I just went along with it at the time. But after five years, uh, I knew that this was no longer um, a viable choice for me. And so I tried to find a, a teaching job. i got a teaching job through a pharmacy consulting company, which I moved to Houston for. 11 months later, I got fired and, you know, it was a tough wake up call. I I didn't appreciate it at the time, but I I know how grateful I am for that moment of, of, you know, crystallization and realizing, Hey, you know what? I need to get a lot better at this. Uh, The next couple of years involved trying and struggling and failing. I dealt with balance paychecks, having to move to Austin briefly for work, you know, just trying to make sure I could still pay my bills and, um, had the opportunity to help teach leadership workshops, uh, nine years ago now. And that kind of uh, helped flip a switch in my head just to say, hey, you know what, maybe I could actually be good at this leadership thing. And so, you know, had the chance to become a manager, took on that position, moved back to Houston for it. And then, you know, it just opened up a different set of challenges. And I realized very quickly that my aversion to conflict was hurting my ability to hold leadership positions. And so, After my previous job went under four years ago, I said, well, you know, even with an increased number of pharmacy job options because of my leadership skills and improved conflict resolution skills, um, I knew uh, this was no longer a a pharmacy day job was no longer a long term thing for me. And so I started to coach. Uh, Some friends were kind enough to give me a chance, but it took a pandemic for me to finally open up the, my own company and get the LLC filed and get the website up and things like that, so all that to say, I decided to target my own demographic simply because I knew just how much I struggled with aversion to conflict, and you know our culture even dictates that to say, hey, even if guests are obnoxious or being rude or you know inconsiderate, even if they aren't aware of what they're doing, that like you know to upset you. Uh, just let them save face. Just let them enjoy themselves, and you know, the, any frustration or resentment you have, just you know, just trust that. And after enough time, you'll get over it. And uh, that doesn't work in leadership. You can't allow people to to do make mistakes and and just say, oh well, let me just let them save face because I mean, you're you're losing money, you're losing relationships, and so to give people again that plan, that clarity, that confidence to say, hey, you know what, this isn't okay. Let me go do something about it, but in a way that actually restores the relationship. It's not punitive. It's not, Hey, you hurt me. So now I'm going to hurt you. It is, Hey, uh, there's a bigger goal that both of us need to be working toward. And I need your help trying to reach that because right now we aren't. So, uh, that's the kind of shift in mentality when it comes to dealing with conflict, especially with my work relationships. So my current day job still serves as like my own leadership lab where I have to, you know, number one, practice what I preach. Um, and to show number two, I'm human right? I'm still making mistakes like, you know, like anybody else. Uh, but three, that is where I experiment to make sure uh, that everything that I'm reading, I'm actually applying and experimenting to see how my people react.
0: Well, and, and there's so much to unpack in there. I, I love what you said. And I like to mirror that myself. Heart-centered leadership can be certainly within our character trait, especially being valiant but it's really the behavior. It's you know walking the walk, not just talking the talk. And it's so important. And I had a CEO say to me two weeks ago, if I don't have one of my executive team in here minimally three times a week telling me what they don't like or what I should shift, I'm not doing a good job. So I love that the way you framed it. We have to still have a leadership role where we have the ability and the space to fail forward and then teach that lesson through our leadership behavior and skills and abilities to our teams. So just, it's so fascinating to me that you've made this pivot and it's so needed. So there's another blessing of the pandemic. Absolutely. Now, my second question has permanent residency on the show and it's the name of the show. So share with us what imperfections that Jerry brings to his heart-centered leadership.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so many to pick from. Right. Uh, I think in my background as a, you know, this, the son of immigrants, you're just looking for a place to belong. And in leadership, right? Leadership is not a popularity contest. And if you try to be popular as a leader, you probably won't be successful because there are a lot of difficult, unpopular decisions uh, that happened with leadership. They don't tell you about it until after you're in the position. <laughs> uh, I can think of one instance where at one point we had, had hired a technician. She was waiting to come over. She was at her previous job waiting for us to give her a call. And at one point we thought we were ready. And so she proceeded to give two weeks notice. Uh, things got deferred. This is in the middle of the pandemic. So at one point she had a scare when she was uh, about to start here. Uh, she's like, okay, I'm gonna, you know, I don't want to expose anybody or expose myself to uh, COVID, so let me defer uh, by two weeks my hire date, actual start date. And then we said, okay, you know, understand. Unfortunately, uh, money dried up to the point where we actually had to rescind our our offer to her. I can tell you, I hated the conversation that I had to have to be like, hey, we know we promised to bring you on, but right now we don't have the money to to afford you, so we're gonna have to we're going to have to, you know, withdraw and, and say, and, and say, oh, we're sorry. And, you know, she'd already left her previous job. They already replaced her, you know, position. And now she likely had no benefits at this point because she walked away hoping that uh, she'd have a job with us. And I can tell, I can tell you that was not fun. Uh, same thing with, yeah, just anytime, you know, my technician's making a mistake and I have to correct it. And my tendency is to overcompensate because I'd rather, let me just fix it in the moment. Maybe it was just, uh, uh, a one time thing. But then, you know, if it happens again, you know, it's like, okay, well, I don't want to have this conversation. And so, yeah, the hesitation still shows up all the time. Even worse is when the same uh, defensiveness I get frustrated with in my technicians shows up for me whenever they uh, tell me uh, I've made a mistake, I need to change and I need to correct it. And I don't like hearing that. I mean, there's times where I, I want to default to my old. Ways of thinking of saying, well, no, this isn't really my fault. I can understand why you want to make the case, and I know what I need to improve. But I really resent the fact that you know you're still bringing it up. So yeah, these are these are things that you have to fight all the time. Uh, Thankfully, you know, I have enough new habits to counter the old ones. Uh, But yeah, this is how I'm imperfect. You know, there are days where I'm tired and I snap, and I'm not as gentle with my language as I should be. Um, I'm not in that kind of leadership rah rah mode. Hey guys, let's go out and have a good day. It's just like, all right. Some days I just crack the whip. I'm like, "All right, guys, you know what you need to do, go do it," and I'm just going to get out of your way. And so, yeah, these are plenty of moments where I, you know, I lose my temper uh, if um, you know people continue to give me excuses as to why they aren't making, uh, you know, meeting expectations. And yeah, we all we all fight this in, in some way or another.
0: Well, and it's a good example of that systematic approach to thinking because when you're in the leadership role, number one, it's very lonely. It can be viscerally lonely for many at the C-suite level. And we're still navigating unprecedented times. And it's not like we have a file or a book to go reference or somebody that we can call. Mm -hmm. And we're human at the end of the day. And stuff happens in our personal lives as well. And we're better to lean in and model our imperfections and share our heart because we're not robots. We're human beings. And sometimes it's hard. So thank you for being so so honest and i'm sure your your team appreciates it and we're all allowed to have a bad day right
1: i hope so <laughs> they've already happened absolutely
0: <laughs> now you've talked about being a asian american yourself and i know it's it's one of your passions to help other asian american leaders advance in their careers and life journey what have you noticed or have found some similarity, or I'm going to use those deja vu kind of goosebump moments where you thought, this is such a privilege to be here to help this person because I've been there. Share with us kind of the backstory of of what you're able to from your own perspective in seeing a little bit of you and some of the leaders that you've helped to date.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I think some of the moments that really just hit me, um, number one, seeing when my clients deal with a difficult boss or just not sure how to approach the relationship with their boss. And, you know, I've been in situations where the bosses, you know, they use passive aggressive humor, you know, or uh, other things like that. And you're just like, okay, I don't know if he's kidding. Like, I can't tell if he's actually secretly mad at me for, you know, things I need to correct. And that's, that's never a fun place to be. And so to be able to Uh, flip that around and and help them get curious and say, Hey, well, boss, what did you mean by that? Like, you know, I really want to be sure that I'm the best employee I can be for you. Um, And that was sounded like it meant to be funny. And it sounded like there was something else you still wanted me to adjust in terms of my like style or anything like that. So what exactly are you talking about? Right. And to give them the courage and the curiosity to, to do that without feeling like, uh Oh, you know, let me just assume that everything I do is wrong and let me just fix it as best I can and trust that somehow like you won't make that joke again. That's one that I see a lot of uh, another is the shift in thinking from what their parents were telling them versus what they're seeing now, but also to have a better appreciation for you know, the mentality that their parents came into this country with, because, you know, they came over here. If they're immigrants, right. They say, Hey, we're just trying to make a living for ourselves. We're not trying to get in anyone's way. Um, you know, so even if we encounter racism or discrimination, uh, we're just going to be on our best behavior and trust that that's going to be enough. And you realize quickly again, like on one hand, yeah, don't ruffle feathers, but on the other hand, don't condone bad behavior either. And to be able to address that in a way that is both respectful and empathetic, uh, is a challenge for so many, but that's what I see a lot of. And that's where I see in myself, because I know how often I would encounter situations where I just said, you know what? what's the point? Like I could try having a, you know, stretching them a little bit, but you know, we're not friends. So let me just say, this is not a battle worth fighting, but you can't say that to all of them <laughs> because eventually you're going to deal with a relationship that has those problems that you just can't disconnect from. And so, uh, yeah, the third is to realize that avoidance is, um, it's nice, uh, to protect yourself, but it, uh, does nothing to actually solve your problem. And so those are three, I think, main things that I see uh, in my clients' challenges and topics to address.
0: Well, and you brought up such a great point talking about generational value. And I think that is such an on-ramp to the the mentality of, well, if it's not broke, why are we fixing it? Like, we've always done it this way. And, you know, when we get caught in that systematic way of thinking There's no space for any newness to come or any new way of thinking. So it's very, very interesting to hear that you see that on a regular basis. Now, my last question is, and I'm excited to talk to you about this, and I know this is one of kind of your specialties that you bring to your coaching practice. You talk about refining your style and defining your passion and that it's an iterative process. I would love, as my Irish Nana would say, your two cents to weigh in on this, mm-hmm. because I think it, it, it's kind of a nice segue from the last question and the top three things that you're seeing and, and helping your clients with through your practice. Mm-hmm. And iterative to me, when I, when I think about this and, and did my research on you, it's almost like to me, that cognitive behavioral therapy that, that rinse and repeat. So weigh in and and share with us what's kind of on your heart when you run across this and and how easy is it to transition?
1: Yeah. Great, great question. You know, I think about how I define success in my twenties and even my thirties, you know, just saying, Hey, I just want a full social calendar and enough money in the bank. And that's, that's fine right. That's, you know, I have a job that I like and I'm just going to do it. And it was like, I remember yeah, my previous employer uh, at one point pretty much had everything I wanted in a job. Like it was 40 hours with, you know, a great work team, uh, a variety of work. So, you know, it wasn't the same things every single day. Um, I have very flexible scheduling. So anytime I want to take a vacation, pretty much it was, uh, it was never denied And I just remember telling a a pharmacy friend, I just said, man, work's been awesome. But then that went away. (laughs) And now, um, you know, what success looks like to me is more about, hey, uh, having enough, uh, you know, passive income stream in order to really free myself up to uh, invest in the activities and relationships that are most meaningful to me, right? It's To see this continual paradox of, yep, you need a 40-hour job and you need to raise kids and you need to take care of your spouse. Uh, you know, it doesn't work. Right. We you know, we keep hearing about this tension all the time of like dads who are exhausted after a full eight days. And then, uh, you know, the wife wants to ask how his day went and the kids are like, daddy, daddy. And you're just like, can everyone just be quiet? Right. And it's like this needless conflict because we believe that, oh, well, yeah, 40 hours, you know, that's it. And so, you know, that money isn't just, again, I hope this doesn't sound selfish. It's not just for me just to, so I can like rake in the benefit. It's so I can be the best version of myself and really serve in areas that wouldn't be able to. And so, yeah, success to me now, you know, we'll see. I mean, what, what I define success as in 10 years, uh, may be different than what we're talking about now to, you know, a big mistake. And this is where, you know, my parents thinking comes in, right. What worked 20 years ago isn't working now. What works now isn't going to necessarily work 20 years from now. And to bank on that, you can, but how likely is that still going to hold? And so, yeah, for me, yeah, success is, uh, yeah, doing the work that I love and, you know, getting compensated for it in a way that allows me to really add value, not just to my clients, but to uh, my circle of, um, you know, friends and, and other important relationships and meaningful work, right? So we're not just striving for success now we're striving for significance.
0: Oh, I love that. And and you know what I like to call that? Life by design.
1: Mm, Good.
0: You've created life by design and it's not based on money and fiduciary value. It's really being, like you said before, the best version of Jerry. So that's wonderful that you've transformed to that. Okay. I'm going to switch to my fab four. These are just Four fun questions. We want to know what's sitting on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. First question: Share something with us that we don't know about Jerry.
1: Oh yeah. (laughs) Um, I'll use an answer that I, I used for my college application actually, because they had a similar question, and that is: At one point, I my mom made me take ballet lessons in order to improve my posture,
0: and and it still is helping you today, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. My posture's gotten better.
0: Well, you think about posture and balance, but think about all of the cognitive processes involved to doing that. So I think your mom was clever and and knew there was some transferable skills in that, but I'm sure that that brought laughter and insight to your application to warrant an interview. So very strategic. I like that.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Okay. Second question, share with us a book that you read that really impacted you in your life.
1: Oh man, so many of them, Uh, but the book that is the most recent one that I think I really saw a lot of people, you know, really take to heart is Humble Inquiry by Edgar Schein, talking about how posturing yourself properly and asking questions with uh, an intent of humility and curiosity really helps build meaningful relationships.
0: And that is the foundation to heart-centered leadership. So how amazing that that's an impactful book. And here you are on a heart centered leadership podcast. There's some serendipity <laughs> happening here,
1: absolutely. okay,
0: Third question. If you had one wish for the world right now, what would it be?
1: The first answer is get vaccinated. <laughs> um, but uh the real i guess if I had a real answer, uh, a, a more substantial answer would be, I wish that everyone would be seen, heard, and respected.
0: yeah, that's powerful it's It's all everybody wants, you know you you mentioned that before that. That belonging. So we're going to end the show on my fourth question that I ask everybody. But as a fellow coach, I I really enjoyed spending time with you. I love the work that you're doing. I love on a larger scale the impact that you're making, but more so the personalness that you bring to the role that you do. So thank you for your time and your expertise, but more importantly for sharing your heart with me today.
1: Thanks for the opportunity, for sure.
0: So fourth question, we're going to close out the show. Whatever comes to your mind is what I want to hear. Heart-centered leadership is?
1: Heart-centered leadership is no regrets knowing that you gave it your all to invest in the people that you care most about, that you want to see succeed, not for your own validation, but for their benefit.
0: You've been listening to the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.